2: in this country without regard to party politics and now here's michael cargill
3: good day austin texas the live music capital of the world let's praise the lord and pass the ammunition let's go to philadelphia where a teen a teenager 14 years old stops a robber from stealing money out of the cash register he shot him in the face that's right uh, you know what? Uh, today, I think we're just gonna we're gonna change that little theme a little bit. You know, we're gonna teach you how to get away with the murder. Let me tell you, because the things that I'm seeing around the country, like what happened in Austin, Texas, um, just yesterday, where uh, you have criminals that go into the mall uh, at eight o'clock, around eight o'clock p.m., where shoppers are in you know, the mall's filled with people Christmas shopping, they go into the jewelry store, they smash smash uh the glass steel jewelry, and you know and and being that we're in in austin in this very liberal city you know people mistake the smashing of the glass as gunshots you believe that zach (laughs) yeah yeah they kind of kind of confused that you know confused the smashing of the glass as actually gunshots and it sent the entire mall in a complete panic uh, people were running. Uh, they're grabbing their kids. There was a, uh, some people were at the movie theater. They cleared that out out of the movie theater. It was just complete chaos. You know, huge, huge law enforcement and EMS presence. And it turned out that, uh, you know, it was a group of people went into the store, went into the mall, uh, smashed the glass, uh, glass cases, stole jewelry, and people just panic and ran because they thought they heard gunshots. Someone called nine one one. Shots fired. Police responding. You know, with shots fired, with information that they have, and the police did exactly what they're supposed to do. You know, get there, secure the scene, evacuate the entire mall, and trying to figure out what in the world's going on. You know, this this is what happens when you're in a city, you know, you live in an area that people don't know, you know, don't listen. They don't pay attention to their their surroundings at all. Their situational awareness is terrible, and they can't tell a difference between glass breaking and a gunshot. Just insane to me. And so complete chaos, you know, and and just, man. But good job to law enforcement, uh, the way they handled that situation. Good job to EMS, uh, and no one was injured. No one was shot. But it was a you know huge event. You know, they thought it was gonna be the worst because of some threats that have been sent out, you know, over the this past week, like on social media, where you know, someone said there's gonna be like a shooting at a school or something, and so you know, everyone's all on the edge. You just have to go about your day and be aware of your surroundings at all times. Situation awareness, that's what we're talking about. But you know what, that Philadelphia. This young man in Philadelphia, I want to tell you a little bit about this a little bit. So a guy goes into a family-owned store in Philadelphia, and he you know, you know, goes to pay for something at the store, and he hands the clerk some money. The clerk opens up the register to you know, to put the money in the register. The guy reaches over the counter, tries to snatch all the money out of the register. The son standing behind um, the, uh, his parent there at the register pulls out a handgun, and shoots this guy in the face, drops him, stops him right there. When it comes, you need to understand the difference between robbery and theft. You know, theft is when someone swipes something without you noticing it. Someone pickpockets you, you know, they swipe, you swipe your wallet out of your back pocket. That's theft. Uh, someone goes to your house, takes your Amazon package. That is theft. When it comes to theft, you cannot use daily force for theft during the daytime, you can only use daily force for theft at night. But when it comes to robbery, aggravated robbery, when someone is taking something from you with force, give me your wallet, give me your money, and they're grabbing for it and taking it from you with force, then you can use force, a daily force, to stop them. It doesn't matter if it's daytime or nighttime in Texas. And so uh, you need to know the difference between, you know, difference of that, you know, like for, for example, you're at the mall, you know, they break the glass cases, they, you know, take, the, uh, they take stuff out of the glass case. That can be considered theft, you know. Uh, If they're using a weapon, you know they're using they're using some force. Then now it changes to robbery. So it kind of depends on what it is. You need to be sure what it is before you pull a gun out and use it. All right. And also over in New York City, New York, the state of New York, the state of New York is trying to shut down Texas gun stores. They're trying to shut down gun stores all around the country. So this week, what we did was. We actually filed a lawsuit against the state of New York, against the governor of the state of New York. Uh, I actually joined with a group of manufacturers, a group of distributors, and other gun stores around the country. Where we're suing, and, and I joined—you know—Central Texas Gunworks Works. Joined with Glock. We joined with Smith and Wesson. Uh, we joined with uh, some other manufacturers. Uh, Beretta and also some uh, a bunch of other distributors or major distributors around the country and National Shooting Sports Foundation is leading the charge where we're suing the state of New York because here's what's going on, people. You need to know this. The state of New York says that if I sell a gun, I'm a federal firearms licensed dealer, and if I sell a gun to someone here legally in Texas— They come into the gun store, they fill out a 4473. I do a background check on that person. They get a proceed, out they go with the gun. If that gun is stolen from that person, and then that gun winds up somehow in the state of New York and used in a crime, the state of New York says they can come and sue me for that. They can sue me, they can sue the distributor, and the manufacturer. So they're trying to sue us and put us out of business. And so we filed a lawsuit in federal court this past week. Against the state of New York, the governor, because they're making us, they're coming after us, and they're coming after us hard. And so we have no choice but to fight back. Can't wait until someone files a, until the state of New York files a civil suit against us. We need to stop them at the path. Uh, And there are things that are in place to stop this. Okay, and we come back from the break. I'm gonna tell you those different things that are out there. You know, there's a what we call the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act that was enacted back in 2005. I'm going to tell you about that and how that fits in in this, you know, because you know, the state of New York is trying to they're trying to legislate interstate commerce. You know, we're supposed to be able to pass products across state lines. And you know what? Firearms are some of the most you, know, you're, you have to go through a background check to get a gun. That's the one item that you actually have to get a federal fire, a federal background check in order to possess you know they don't do that for automobiles you know if someone you know steals a car someone takes a car and they injure someone in the state of New York they don't go after the manufacturer of the vehicle they don't go after the 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 car dealership they don't go after those people they go after the person that's driving the vehicle or the company that's you know that's that who owns the vehicle that's who they go after you know, not the company that sold the vehicle or the manufacturer that made the vehicle. That's now how things are done in this country. And so you can't, you know, and, and when it comes to firearms, we actually have a Federal Protection of Law Enforcement Commerce in Arms Act of 2005. We come back from the break. We're going to talk about that. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talkin'. Folks,
4: this is Doug Man jones <laughs> And I get my gun news
0: from Michael Cargill and come and talk it. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash recommend today. Talk 1370.
2: Welcome back to Come and Talk It, and now here's Michael Cargill.
3: All right, so we're back and we're talking about what's going on in the state of New York. So we've gotten with a group of manufacturers, gotten with a group of distributors and other gun stores around the country to file lawsuit, a federal lawsuit in district court. So the state of New York is trying, they're trying to put gun stores and gun stores specifically, you know, in Texas out of business. And so you know we're, you know, they're coming after us hard. And so all we have to do is to fight back and fight back as, as much as possible. So I've, I've joined with Glock Incorporated. I've joined with Beretta USA Corp. I've joined with Smith & Wesson. I've joined with some of the major manufacturers uh, in this country, major distributors in this country, and Central Texas Gunworks, along with National Shooting Sports Foundation. Uh, we filed a lawsuit against the state of New York on Thursday in federal court in Syracuse. Uh, over their, their law that they pass ex- it's called the Express Purpose. It's a circumventing Congress and trying to regulate tens of thousands of businesses operating in every state. So basically what they're saying is if a gun store in Texas sells a firearm illegally, a person walks to the gun store, they fill out the background check form, get a background check, the ATF, the FBI says proceed, you can sell the firearm. They pass the background check. That gun gets stolen from that person. That gun winds up in New York and used in the crime, then the New York State, New York State can come back and sue the gun store, they can sue the distributor, they can sue the manufacturer of that crime because the person stole the gun and used it in the crime. And so they're trying to put us out. And so gun companies uh, we're saying look you know we're fighting back you know first of all there is a federal protection of lawful commerce in arms act that was enacted in 2005 which prohibits most lawsuits against firearms manufacturers over violence by people who use their products you know several legal attempts by New York to sue the industry have failed in the past and so you know there's a there's a bunch of, bunch of myths about this and so I want to dispel some of those myths so the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, PLCAA, what that means is, it, you know, some people think that shields gun companies from being sued for wrongdoings. Well, no, it really doesn't. So the fact is, six, there are six exemptions in the law expressly allow suits based on knowing violations of federal or state law related to gun sales or, you know, on traditional gun uh, grounds, including negligence or breach of contract. Congress specifically carved out exceptions to allow claims of negligence and negligent entrustment to proceed where allowed under state law, a retailer sells a firearm to someone underage or someone visibly intoxicated who then used the firearm to injure themselves or others. The bill allows, you know, product or liability cases involving actual injuries caused by defective firearm or criminal misconduct on the part of the company. So, those are just, you know, that's just one of the myths. Here's another one. You know, there's a myth out there that says, you know what, gun companies are singled out under federal law for special treatment. Well, no, that's not true. Here's the fact. Despite the political rhetoric that the contrary, that this act, and and I want to make sure you understand it, it is the Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act, uh, does not grant the firearm and ammunition industry immunity from suit you know from being sued any different than any other industry including small aircraft manufacturers uh, vaccine makers hello hello vaccine makers hello i know you know if this video was on facebook you know they would put a little warning label at the bottom that's why we're not going on facebook instead the the this act codifies common law and common sense principles to prevent baseless litigation from bankrupting an entire industry without you know And basically, without these protections, many of America's most critical industries would go out of business from the time and cost of just frivolous lawsuits. Industries cannot and should not be held culpable for the wrongdoings of individuals who purchase their property, you know, just purchase these items legally and then proceed to use them in a criminal manner. You know, just because I sell something to someone legally. And then they go and do something wrong. They clearly break the law. I should not be held responsible for that. You know, in that case, we're going to do that. You know, man, man, I I tell you what, (laughs) I can think a lot of things we can do. Uh, Even under former President Obama, the Department of Justice has continued to defend the constitutionality of the PLCAA. Uh, in in recent briefs and the DOJ struck back a gun control advocate's claim and asserted the position that the you know this act narrowly crafted limitations is not a general bar of civil actions against firearms manufacturers and sellers. The statute includes a safe harbor that allows several types of actions to go forward. And the Department of Justice further argued that in acting the PLCAA, this act, Congress properly exercise is legislative powers within the constraints afforded by the Commerce Clause, and that any arguments that the PLCAA com- commandeers, state governments by forcing them to enact or implement a regulatory scheme in you know contravention of the Tenth Amendment are wholly without merit. Just think about that. So, you know, all these these that they're talking about, these are all just myths. They're trying to you know, say well. You know, you can't hold firearm industry, you know, accountable, and that's just not true. You know, if we clearly do something wrong, we can be held accountable. But what we're trying to say is, hey, you just can't a state, you know, can't just, you know, bypass interstate commerce and decide to, you know, just shoot sue a manufacturer and put them out of business just to file a for lawsuit. So that's why you have a Protection of Lawful Commerce in Arms Act that was enacted in 2005. All right, so there's another case that we're involved in, in, and that is the case of the bump stock. And so there's an update of that. Well, the bump stock, guess what? There's a three-judge panel in the Fifth Circuit that ruled against Cargill versus Department of Justice. That is our lawsuit that I have against the federal government. Uh, We're suing the uh, ATF, we're suing the Department of Justice, we're suing the federal government for bump stocks. And it's not about bump stocks. It's about the fact that the ATF, has said that there's something that you and I legally purchase. There's an item that was legal, and we bought this item. We took this item home, and all of a sudden, the ATF decides one day, you know what? We're going to ban that item. It's now illegal, You're and by possession of that item, you are a felon, and we're going to charge you and convict you of a felony because you are in possession of an item that actually was legal, but now it's now illegal. Because we decided one day it's now illegal. So we took the federal government to court, Central Texas Gunworks, Michael Cargill versus you know, the federal government. So this case went to our first federal court. Uh, that judge was out of Hawaii, and they're still surprised. You know, your judges and people in Hawaii don't like guns. Hawaii has very strict gun laws. So, of course, we lost that case, which we anticipated. And then we appealed the case to the Fifth Circuit. You know, Well, the Fifth Circuit has 17 judges in the Fifth Circuit. There are 17 judges. When you get a case in the Court of Appeals, the Fifth, for example, the Fifth Circuit, you're going to draw a three-judge panel. So in that court, there are five Democrat judges, Zach, five Democrat judges, and the rest of them are Republican. Out of the five Democrat judges, Zach, how many of you think – I'm sorry, out of the 17 judges in that court – how many Democrats do you think we drew for a three-judge panel to hear our case for the bump stop? Three, all three Democrats. That's right. You win the prize, Zach. So we threw, <laughs> we drew all <laughs> three randomly selected. Right? Randomly selected. Yes, yes, yes. We won the prize. All right. So we we had our case uh, in before the Fifth Circuit. Uh, the three-judge panel heard that case, and then they came back with their ruling. Now, I'm going to wait and tell you, you know, what they said and how that turned out. Uh, We come back from the break because it's very interesting because they kind of agreed with us that, hey, you know what? You know what? Cargill has a point. The ATF cannot create law. They agree with that. But they said, you know what? They suggested something else. And we come back from the break. I'm going to tell you what that something else was. Very tricky move. But you know what? If I'm not going to tell you if we won or lost, what I'm going to tell you is there's another phase of that. And the next phase of that is to be heard, is for this case to be heard before it, all 17 judges on the panel, which I expect that we should win that case. And then hopefully all the other cases that are going in all the other circuits will catch up. And then hopefully the Supreme Court will pick one of the cases, either my case or the Esfesian case, or the Gunners of America's case. One of those cases hopefully will go forward, and then the Supreme Court will pick it and then then decide. And so we'll see what happens then. But I, I need to tell you what happened with the Michael Cargill versus the federal government for bump stocks in the Fifth Circuit, how the three-judge panel rule ruled, What is what exactly they said. We come back from the break. we are talk about that. We're also going to talk about we're going to go to Chicago, talk about the crime rate in Chicago. Man, there's a website. I don't even know if I can say the name of the website. I'm going to ask my producer about that. There's a website that talks about all the different um, uh, stat, stats and statistics in Chicago, man. Uh, there, and also there were four men arrested, you know, in a, involving in a, a death of two Nashvillians. Nashvilleians, Nashvilleians. That's, that's in Nashville. I can't even say that. Sounds right. Sounds right? Okay. And then we'll talk about that. And then we're going to talk about uh, some things in the Amon Arbor case. We're going to talk about provoking in the, um, in the case in, in Lubbock, Texas. You know, talk about that. I also want to talk about, you know, this bunch of thugs. <laughs> a bunch of thugs who were at a school board meeting uh, and, a, and a fight broke out. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Hi, this is Stephen
4: Woollifer, the Barefoot Defender. I get my global gun news from Michael Cargill at Come and Talk with me.
0: Talk 1370, the right choice.
2: Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill.
3: We're back and we're talking about the bump stock case. We're talking about Michael Cargill versus uh, the federal government, the Department of Justice, the ATF. We're talking about this administration and previous administrations who imposed the bump stock ban. We filed a federal lawsuit. And so that case now sits in the Fifth Circuit, and I've instructed my attorneys at the New Civil Liberties, Liberties Alliance to immediately push this case all the way forward to the Supreme Court without delay. I want you know to go ahead and file the next motion that we need to file and continue forward. So here's what happened. So we presented the case, the bump stock case, before the Fifth Circuit. And it was a three-judge panel that heard the case. All the three judges that we drew, randomly drew, were all three Democrats, which were anti-gun. And so, as suspected, you know, we were going to lose that case. You know, there's 17 judges on this panel. Uh, The majority of the judges on the panels are are Republican. Uh, But there are five Democrats and the rest are Republican. And there are 17 total judges. We threw the three-judge panel. So... They basically held that the ATF's regulation is the best reading of the machine gun statute. As a result, the panel said that it had no need to address Chevron difference. A copy of the decision, you know, um, it, I'm going to read that now. So basically, you know, we're, we're going we're to plan to, we're filing the petition for a rehearing an unbunk. All right. So unbunk meaning that we want this, uh, we want our case to be heard before all 17 judges. So they ruled against us, the, the three judge panel. And basically they here's what they said. We agree with, you know, Michael Cargill that uh, the ATF does not, you know, cannot regulate, you know, cannot create law. They can only interpret law. But what they suggested was they're sending a special note. They're going to send this case to Congress so Congress can create a law and fix it. So they want Congress to fix the definition of machine gun cuz they acknowledge that we're right, but they're saying we're not right, and the ATF is right. Makes no sense, does it?
1: Well, I mean, if you really <laughs> think about it, it kind of makes sense to them for what they want.
3: Right. So, so we're going to push to the, to the Congress. and want Congress to – and we all, we all know that Congress is not going to create a law. There's no way this is going to pass the House and the Senate. They don't ha- they're not going to have the votes in order to do something like this. So I'm not worried about you know Congress currently right now this moment in time and then I know things are going to change in midterm elections you know I'm betting on that so we're not worried about that so what we need to do is continue to push this case like I have instructed the new civil liberties alliance to push this case forward you know and to continue on and for this case to be heard before all the judges so and I'm not going to go through like their whole ruling there it's, it's a really long ruling um, and so uh, but we'll see we'll see what happens so and then after that, we hope to make it to the Supreme Court, you know, uh, and hopefully have this case heard and win this case. And so it can be, a, you know, we can do something for the entire country for all gun owners. All right. So the next thing I want to talk about is over in Chicago, man, Chicago, there's a website called HeyJackass.com. You got to go check this website out. It's called HeyJackass.com. So when you go to this website. It talks about, you know, some, man, different just it, it gives you an outline of, you know, uh, for the month, for example, the month of December, the current month, how many homicides, how many people have been shot and killed. It tells you about the last week, you know, how many people have been shot and killed. It tells you about year to date for the entire year. Do you know that in, in Chicago for the entire year of 2021, there have been 779 people shot and killed, uh, 3,645 wounded, a total of 4,424 people shot? A total of homicides of 828. Wow. That's crazy. You, hey, Zach, you know what happened, you know, this past week? Last week? A Bunch of people got shot? From December 12th to December 18th. Uh, shot and killed, 14. Shot and wounded, 47. Total shot, 61. Total homicides, 14. Man. That's a busy week. Busy. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 I'm telling you, Chicago does almost, you know, in a, in a they will do in a month, you know, what Austin used to do in a whole year, used to, I say, because <laughs> Austin's getting, we're getting up there, we're gonna, uh, we're getting close to a hundred homicides, you yeah. yeah. so we're we're getting really close. But check that website and go to heyjackass.com. They have a lot bigger population too, right? <laughs> they do, they do, yeah. But check it out, though. but you know, Austin as far as homicides per, you know, per capita, we're. Doing some pretty impressive numbers. We're number one per (laughs) capita, we're number one. That's right, number one. Good job, Mayor Adler. (laughs) Great job. Austin is one of the five safest big cities in the country. Five safest big cities in the country. That's right.
1: (laughs) Yes, it depends how you define safe. That's right. Are you talking about inside of the W (laughs) or? You're talking about the rest of downtown. Right.
3: I think we're talking about the W. (laughs) That's safe in there. It's safe in the W. Yep. Definitely safe in the W. Man, I tell you, I was looking at, um, you know, Austin, you know, and there's a funny little story about Austin, and it talks about how last year when Mayor Adler, you know, basically single-handedly tried to keep the bars closed in Austin, you know, shut all the bars down. Do you know that his wife is a real estate, you know, her real estate firm, you know, that uh, they bought up like a bunch of the properties that went out of business? (laughs) Boy, they don't know you people are stupid. (laughs) No, they don't think you're stupid. They know you're stupid. They don't think it. They know you're dumb. I'm telling you right now. Let me say that again. So last year, when Mayor Adler shut down the bars in Austin. Because of COVID-19, you guys have got to shut down, shut it down, close it down. And those businesses went out of business because they, you know, were not up and running. His wife, real estate firm, quietly bought up all those properties that went out of business. And don't forget, right before that, (laughs) he put out an
1: advertisement, a PSA saying, it's okay, go to the bar, (laughs) have a drink, (laughs) go eat somewhere, go out. They
3: don't think you're stupid. They know you're stupid. <laughs> That's why they don't even care anymore. Don't even try to hide it because you're all dumb. We're all dumb. And we don't do anything. Nothing about it. That is hilarious. Hilarious. And check that story out. I'm telling you. You know, Check it out for yourself. Uh, it's a story out of Austin.Towers.net. You know, it talks about how one real estate company now owns more than 30 properties on East 6th. As part of their longstanding <laughs> standing beef with the mismanagement of Austin's numerous historic properties on East Sixth Street, uh, I tell you, it is hilarious.
1: Yeah, and if you want a visual representation of this at indyindyaustin mm-hmm. slash sale, then it has this basically this mapped out interactive uh, map of Austin of sale.
3: Steve Adler's land empire. <laughs> <laughs> well, I tell you, and you guys, man, we just sit back and we're like, "Yeah, keep putting the same people in office, the same people in office, and they're just sticking it to you." Oh, in out, in out, just giving it to you. <laughs> we're term not doing anything. now. Yeah, I don't know. I don't even know. <laughs> don't even know. But they'll put someone else just like him back in office, and they'll continue on doing the exact same thing. Oh, in out, in out. You know, it's it's a money making scheme. You know, one hand washes the other and we don't do anything to stop it. Crazy. Just crazy. Um, man, I want to talk about these little thugs. There's some thugs. <laughs> uh, a little fight broke out at a school board. A school board, a little fight broke out. And God, what city was this in? I'm going to say this uh, Glastonbury. I'm not sure what state this was in. But it was in Glastonbury. A fight breaks out at a board of education meeting. These are a bunch of thugs here. Nothing but a bunch of thugs. You're Connecticut. at a school, In Connecticut, you're but your parents, and we're at a school board board meeting. You can't, you know, you know, you don't have the conflict resolution skills to, you know, conduct a, a a meeting and have a conversation and talk about your grievances, what you agree with, what you disagree with, and try to come to some type of common ground without using your hands? Really? School board? Then how in the world, what are you supposed to tell the kids? (laughs) And guess what? There's a story that came out. We come from the break. I'm going to tell you about that one. There's a story that came out that talks about how kids that are going back to school now are just totally out of control. Totally out of control. Uh, someone, like, just sent me that story. <laughs> I guess they're listening to what we're talking about. And they're just completely, completely out of control. And it's a story. It's it's by the Washington Post. Well, I'll tell you now. We have time. It's it's from the Washington Post. It says, as fans, re- fans return to high school sports, officials say student behavior has never been worse. Never been worse. As they competed in high school basketball game in May, Uh, This one group, you know, says uh, their teammate and younger sister Mia uh, heard someone in the crowd yell a racist epithet in their direction. Neither said anything to the crowd. You know, just, you know, they're just, man, parents are just being the worst, worst example for their kids. There's no wonder your kids are, you know, picking up guns and and committing school shootings because the parents are just terrible. This is, um, I don't know if it's COVID fatigue, what's going on. You know, what do you think is its Is it is it is it COVID-19 fatigue? People just like fed up, being cooped up. They need to you know, is it maybe is is the vaccine? Could it, <laughs> could it could it be the vaccine? Oh,
1: or is it just irresponsible parenting? Oh, or is it just mixed or, with or is
3: it just bad parenting?
1: Yeah, you know, uh, counseling centers everywhere are just completely booked because people are having so much anxiety, depression, um, domestic issues because of. Covid. Mm,
3: I don't know. I don't know. But uh, I don't know if we did. We did. We, did we show the fight. Check out that fight. with A bunch of thugs. Got a video of it. Got a yeah. Got a video of it. Want to see it? Here you go. <laughs> so a bunch of thugs out of uh what what was the name of that city again? Uh, Glastonbury. Glastonbury, and in what state is it? Connecticut. 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 Some of your strict gun laws are in Connecticut. You know, all your 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 major manufacturers are actually moving from Connecticut. They're moving down south, uh, south southern por- portion of the country, because they're you know they just have two strict laws up there, so they're they're bailing. But this is how your parents. This is how the little thuggish parents act in Connecticut at a school board. A bunch of thugs. Nothing but a bunch of thugs.
1: <laughs> <laughs> and it was over a mascot. Uh... They're talking about
3: changing the school's mascot. <laughs> Let's change the school's mascot. No! Oh, really? That cause that, that means we're going to punch each other in the face? Really? Is that what we come down to? Bunch of thugs. Terrible example for our, our, our kids. Terrible example. No wonder the kids are rotten to the core. We need to do better. Got to do better. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and It. Hey, this is A.W.R. Hawkins, Pride Park News, and you're listening to Come and Talk
1: It with Michael Cargill. Austin's
0: Talk 1370.
2: Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill.
3: All right, so we're back. And I want to talk about a case that uh, actually unfolded here in Austin, Texas. And what you had was you had the Austin Police Department. Well, you know what? I'm going to let someone else tell you about the case. So basically, a uh, jury's awarded a family of a man killed by Austin Police Department $67 million. So a jury in a federal civil trial has recommend, recommended that the city of Austin and two officers paid more than $67 million to the family of a man killed by police, by Austin police, on 6th Street in 2017. And I want to bring into the conversation Skip Davis, who's one of the attorneys that won this case. Uh, and and by the way, congratulations, Skip Davis. Uh, I'm sorry for the family because you know, this is about, we're talking a family that you know lost a loved one. Um, But we're glad they're getting some type of compensation, you know, for their loss of their loved one. But welcome to the conversation, Skip Davis, one of the attorneys for this case. Hey, Michael, how are you guys doing out there tonight? Outstanding, sir. So $67 million. You know, and Ken Cassidy was, you know, he's upset about this. He said, man, no way. We're not paying.
4: You know, Ken Cassidy didn't even spend one day at the trial. He doesn't know what he's talking about. Those people were jurors. though. They were everyday people from everyday walks of life here in Austin, Texas. They included Williamson County, they included Travis County, they included Burleson County. You know, I don't know
3: what these people are belly aching about. They didn't spend one minute at trial. and tell us they about spent, and tell us about the case. you know what was you know the young man's name and, and what happened and you know and everything.
4: Yeah, sure. Um, and you're right. We're looking for justice. Enough of this. Compensation is not always the end goal. Um, In Landon Noble's case, the poli- chief of police got out there in the media and said that uh, Landon Noble's pulled a gun and fired upon the cops and that the cops re- uh, responded with deadly lethal force. Even though there were there was a score of witnesses, that- eyewitnesses right there who even went on TV to dispute what the chief said on, on had had occurred. So this is lunacy that they think that this is a bad decision. They just didn't pay attention. They thought that they could just trot out a bunch of police officers who would lie and tell conflicting stories with physical evidence that completely demolished their, their fairy tale. And, uh, just because a cop hollers out that I'm a police officer, and I have special training, blah blah blah, that they get a pass and can shoot somebody three times square
3: in the back at point blank range, and, ju- and then lie it, about it. And jury, the juries are getting it right. 2021 is a year that your juries are getting these cases right. And you know, you had someone watch this case on the news, a security officer that worked downtown. You know, he was there when this case, when this situation unfolded, and he watched the news and he's like, "Hell, hold on, the police chief is wrong." That's not what happened at all. And so he came forward because he saw that interview by the police chief. That's correct. That's absolutely
4: correct. He came forward and gave an interview uh, to KXAN, the uh, TV station here in town, and they aired it. And the chief of police has yet to retract his statement. And so we had to get a jury to tell them that this is a lie. Mm. And the jury jury was not tricked. I'm no— magician, there was no sleight of hand. It was done in federal court in front of God and country. Um and frankly, it's embarrassing that the Austin Police Department thinks that they can shoot somebody three times in the back because they don't feel like chasing them. Hey. Uh, and then tell and then tell a bunch of
3: lies about it and call themselves justified because, well, she was running from us. That's just not the way it works. Because there was like there was like some kind of scuffle, a fight, or something downtown, and then someone fired off a shot, and the people ran. Everyone ran, and they thought that you know the person that fired the shot was you know your uh, your client, and so the police threw a what a, a bicycle in, in in the guy's path or something.
4: He was running away. He had, there was a scuffle out in front of one of the clubs. Um. And somebody who was there in the scuffle, nobody knows who, fired off a gun or threw a firecracker or something. Okay. And there's, that's what happened in front of that club, the Moose Knuckle, which is ground zero for stupidity on Six Feet, if you ask me. Mm-hmm.
2: Um,
4: something occurred there, and it startled some of the people who were there, not all. And uh, I guess they suspected Mr. Nobles, and the police just... Descended upon him without giving any commands by their own testimony. And um, he took off running. He wasn't sure what was going on. So he took off running. And within eight seconds of breaking free of the police who never laid a hand on him, but were trying to, within eight seconds, he was shot dead in the back. Mm. Mm. And And they came up with some crazy story. that Oh, he shot at us. And then not all those witnesses. No, he didn't. Mm. Oh, yeah, you guys just didn't see it. They're like no, that didn't happen. So that's what happened is that the jury is is appalled that Austin police a engage in this continued ridiculous illegal behavior b tell lies about what occurred, even though there were independent credible witnesses, even when they all unanimously um, and without wavering, Without any discrepancies in their stories, say exactly what happened. Um, they just trotted out a bunch of police officers and came up with four or five different stories, and none of them fit. And the coroner's report was he was shot square in the back at extremely close range.
3: And what about the the halo camera or or police body cameras? Um, there were. This was the last shooting before APD
4: required. Body cameras. You might remember back then, Mike, um, that there was a push by the Austin Police Department and APA, the Association, to not have body cameras. They thought it was an invasion of their, you know, they, they had every excuse. Right. Um, but but eventually, they the City Council funded it, um, and eventually, about, I think about two years later, they finally started fielding. But it took them a long time. And they were in no rush to put body cameras on anybody.
3: Now, how does the jury come up with sixty-seven million dollars? Is that something that you guys were asking for?
4: No, this 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 case was was really a bellwether. We wanted to use it as a bellwether. Um, the lives of people and who who were injured and died at the hands of police here in Austin, Texas, needed to be measured by. Um, The jury who who speak for the people from whom they're chosen, and they as the representative of the people, determine what's legitimate and what's acceptable for the community. You know, we've been talking, Mike, you and I, for years about guns and irresponsible gun ownership and yahoo, uh, what I call yahoo behaviors of gun owners in some cases. But that. the limits of that but go ahead you know, we're, we're starting to learn what the limits of that is mm-hmm. and it includes police behavior um and so what we've now learned with this verdict is don't lie because mm-hmm. if you lie you don't get qi qi is qualified to qualified immunity mm. and qualified immunity is what is what uh, defeats most civil rights cases for police officers with officer-involved shootings, and it's also we saw in the last couple of weeks the the, the trial of the of those white guys in uh, in Georgia who murdered that guy Ambry, um, and we saw Carl Rittenhouse's uh, trial. Um, and and then last week we saw the trial of the woman who went for, somehow pulled her taser even though it's went to, you know cross draw mount she still somehow hollers out taser and pull, pulls her sidearm which is ridiculous. We're starting to see what what the communities think of these these behaviors. So we know that um, in some way, Rittenhouse was absolved of criminal liability. I'm sure he'll be sued. And he'll have to face the music for his monetary liability, which is kind of like the OJ case. Um, we're seeing that whatever those guys did or called themselves doing as a posse or deputized in the Ahmaud Arbery case, that's over the top. So that don't play. So don't come out here and talk about you citizen arresting somebody over uh, running through your neighborhood. Um, we're starting to see that stuff in video is so prevalent now that where before people would get away with some of these behaviors, um, they're not able to escape bystander video like George Floyd um,
3: and, and,
2: or, or even
4: stupid lawyer who gives out the video um, in the Ahmad Arbery case.
3: Mm. Yeah, because they thought by giving out that video in the Ahmad Arbery case, that would clear their client of any wrongdoing. Turned out he did the exact opposite. It <laughs> got him arrested days <laughs> later, the exact opposite. <laughs> yeah, and
4: now they're and they're facing multiple life sentences. I don't; those guys are never getting out of prison. No. So, but that's so the lesson that if there's anything to draw from this for the viewers of your show that aren't just in it for the politics, but they're in it for the trying to figure out how to behave with their with their sidearms um, is if you pull that gun, that's a that is opening the biggest box and doors box imaginable. So. If you pull that trigger, that's a life-altering event for you, the trigger puller. If you hit somebody with the bullet, high likelihood you're going to prison.
3: All right, that's right. If you
4: kill somebody, if you kill somebody, I hope you've got a house in Austin, Texas, worth a million bucks to sell because that's what it's going to cost to keep you from, you know, possibly going to prison
3: over your quote right to self-defense. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It.
4: This is on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cardell.
2: Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill. All
3: right, we're talking with Skip Davis, attorney out of Austin, Texas, talking about a lawsuit that he won in Austin in federal court for $67 million that the Austin Police Department and two officers have to pay. $67 million for shooting a man, a young man in the back multiple times in the back back in 2017. Um, I was looking at, Skip, I was looking at the bar that yeah, this happened outside of it happened outside the Moose Bar, and I was checking them out. The Moose Bar, you know their their liquor license says they are a blue establishment, which means that with a license or without a license, you can take a gun inside there. The only way you not you wouldn't be able to take a gun in there in that establishment. Now this the law was different back in two thousand seventeen, but as right now this, today this moment in time, only way you wouldn't be able to take a gun in there is they posted a thirty point oh six sign or thirty point oh seven sign for a license holder. Or they posted a third, five sign, or some other similar sign for constitutional carriers. So, but license holders, you know, if they don't see the sign, they don't notice it. You know, they can go, they go in. They have to tell them verbally. So, if they're not checking people, they're not wanding people. Uh, they don't know if they have guns inside that bar or not.
4: You know, guns and alcohol just don't mix. Um, alcohol and some young people just don't mix. Um, I'm a I'm a Second Amendment advocate, Army veteran, as you know. But but something has to happen to make sure we don't have yahoos with guns in places where bad decisions occur. Um, and the, I, the the consequences are just
3: too high. Right. And I do want to ask you about Lubbock, Texas. You know that uh, Kyle Carruth. Uh, shooting uh, Chad Reed in Lubbock, Texas. You know we've shown that video, and and we're going to play that video right now, um, and we're going to talk over it in the background there. So they're Lubbock, Texas. They're at a like an office that looks like a house. Guy goes over, uh, Chad Reed goes over to the office to where his ex wife is uh, to pick up his son. He says he's supposed to pick him up at three fifteen, and he's you know visibly upset, and he's saying, "Look, you know I'm supposed to get my son at three um, I'm not supposed to get him at you know five o'clock, four o'clock. I'm supposed to get him at three fifteen, and I you know where's my son? And so he's he's like, look, I'm gonna haul all you guys in the court. I'm gonna haul you in the court. I'm gonna haul you know uh, the the guy who's you know who's who's office he's at in the court, and also the guy's wife who happens to be a judge in the area, gonna haul her into court. You know, and so the the homeowner, the the business owner, goes into the business, grabs a rifle, comes out. And says, get off the property. And so now he's, you know, you're committing, basically he's saying you're committing criminal trespass, you need to leave the property. And so he's using force by showing the firearm. And you can actually do that. You can use force and show your firearm. You can't point the gun at someone, you can't threaten them with it, but you can display the firearm. You know, and then all of a sudden something happens. And he takes a step back and he fires a shot at the ground. He points the gun down, fires a shot at the ground, does like a warning shot. And then something else happens. You know, they, they get swung around there. The uh, uh, Chad Reese swings Kyle Carruth around. Uh, Kyle takes several fe- uh, steps back where he's about 10 feet away and then points the rifle at him and shoots him uh, right then and there. Uh, what, are, what are your thoughts on that case?
4: My thoughts is that, uh, whoever the jackass was with that rifle doesn't need me on his jury. Um, the problem with that is a couple. The first, you point out accurately that you can brandish a weapon. It's called, uh, brandishing a weapon, uh, in order to demonstrate that you have, that you're armed. But but that's the extent that you can do anything with that weapon and not be considered either provoking an incident or committing a felon, felony crime. So you can have you've got a pistol in your in your tucked in your belt. You can lift your shirt and show the pistol. But if you pull that pistol and you aim it at somebody, that's aggravated assault. Mm. If you pull the pistol and, and rack a slide, that could be attempted capital murder. If you pull it and you pull that trigger, it's definitely a Attempted murder. And if you hit somebody and kill him it's in the middle of manslaughter, reckless manslaughter. Mm. So you know, in Texas, even though you might have the right to brandish, there is no such thing as a warning shot in Texas. Struck me that the fellow was trying to demonstrate his resolve, whatever that means. And um, he was going to show off and he pulled that gun out, brandished it. And just went one step too far and fired it off into the ground, which gives now the, the 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 angry father the right to defend himself against the use of deadly force, the illegal use of deadly force. Um, of course, the bad thing always is, is that usually the guy who doesn't have a gun usually loses those kind of confrontations. Right. So it's sad. This is a, this was sad and unnecessary. And if anybody thinks that that was the intelligent use of force um, and that you can defend your property with deadly force uh, during the daytime that doesn't involve the use of illegal use of like deadly force, you're just wrong. You don't need to have a gun. You just don't need it. You're just not smart enough to have a gun. You you just don't – you're endangering all of us out here if you think that that guy had the right to do what he did. That's just not how it works in the law. It might be how it works
3: in comic book land in your mind, but that's not how it works in the law and and then uh, what about uh, the child custody thing? So you know interfering with a child custody or a child you know a custody exchange um, you know
4: that, that's really that's really interesting, Mike, because that makes a, that makes the guy committing a felony.
3: Um, if, so if they can prove that, if they can prove that uh, uh, Kyle Carruth was actually interfering with a child custody exchange, then he wouldn't be justified in using force or deadly force.
4: That's correct. That's correct. You don't get to use deadly force in the commission of a crime. mm. Mm. Unless it's a class C misdemeanor, I think is how the rule reads. And, what's, look at it and what's
3: weird? What's weird about all, and it? What's weird about all this stuff is that you know everyone's recused himself. You know, all the the DA the DA has actually recused himself of this uh, this case, and so it's been referred to the Texas Attorney General's office. You know, does that happen a lot? I'm just curious. Well, only when there's interesting conflict like that. Um, there's something going
4: on in the relationships of the people that they feel it's un they don't want to be drawn in and investigated for their relationships in a case of this high high magnitude. So, the, the Texas Attorney General has a has a whole arm of its uh, organization dedicated to to the to the assistance of uh prosecutions, namely child sexual assaults, trafficking, human trafficking, sexual tra- trafficking um and And they have a unit that assists in murder cases because those are very expensive um and resource intensive uh investigations and prosecutions so it's not uncommon for the texas ag to pick up a case like this um it is uncommon to see district attorneys um recuse themselves in their offices from prosecutions like that
3: Okay, Man, All right. It's yeah. This is, it's it's a lot of stuff. I'm I'm curious how this is all going to come out, and if if you know, finally, some charges are going to be filed against anyone in this case. You know, because this is you know going on for and Texas justice is you know Texas is kind of slow when it comes to you know carrying out justice. It it can take a while. You know, like you look at the shooting that happened in in Austin, uh, downtown back last year when you had the protests slash riots or whatever. Uh, the sergeant, United States Army. You know, was in do-
4: um Encountered each other in just the most random way. And, uh, you know, they're both kind of justified, you know, based on how they each themselves interpreted the, the other. Right. To defend themselves. Right. right against the other. So it's. And, and see, that's the complication that we get into. And that's why the wiser thing to do is just walk away. Mm. Um, you don't use your
3: gun if you're just getting ready to get into a fist fight. You just, if you're you getting. Uh, really... Can't use, the F, can't use the F word. Can't use the F word. Oh, I'm sorry.
4: I'm sorry. sorry. Uh, but they, you know, that FAFO, they keep talking that nonsense. And, right. But they really don't have the stomach for that behavior right. when it comes down to real scrutiny and, and the involvement of. The court system in their case, right? But yeah, that's an that's an interesting case. Um, it's going to also say, you know show us what the limits of provocation are. Right? Can you go outside, go get your gun, and bring your gun and and, and show it to somebody, right. or can you just demonstrate to somebody that if they come any further, that you're armed? Right? Can you eject somebody with your gun? Hmm. You know, Everybody thinks you can do all these things, but now you're gonna find out. Right.
3: All right. Man, I think it's you... good
4: for business because I tell you, Mike, we need more education. The more educated the the the, the populace the populace is about their use of guns, about their obligations and duties and carrying, about the, the the consequences of poor choices. Um about the idea, of FAFO. Um, about the idea, I'd rather be judged by twelve than carried by six, even though there's no opportunity, <laughs> no chance of anybody going to get killed. But you still pull the gun until they figure out by classes like guys like by guys like you, um, what the extents and limits are of their behaviors. We're going to have a lot of
3: bad situations.
4: That's right. But it's okay. It'll sort
3: itself out. But they'll sort it out in court, and that's when they call you and have to pay you.
4: <laughs> Some sometimes when things are bad. I get I get phone calls to, to help people out in, in bad situations. Right. But really, I, I, I'd I'd rather none of this. I'd rather it be more like the Swiss and everybody's arms and nobody's trouble. All right, man. I t- right now, we're more like. We're more like the Wild West, or Uzbekistan, or some place like that. It's just almost reckless ownership, just because they can own. And ownership, I think, requires responsibility and obligations and duties to, uh, to
3: the public at large, not to be reckless. All right, thank you, man. Thank you, Skip. I appreciate you coming on and and breaking all this stuff down for us. Uh, and you know, you enjoy the rest of your weekend and enjoy that. Uh, tell that family, you know, we're sorry for their loss. Um, and it's you know sad way you know you have to go through compensation rather than prosecuting you know but hopefully they you know they can find some justice down the road.
4: Thank you, Mike. The, the Nobles family certainly appreciates uh, what you do. Uh, they they and and, and 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 they're they're heartened by the decision of the jury to hold uh, Officer uh, Eagle and Officer Johnson responsible and liable uh, for the murder of Landon Nobles. Thank you, sir. Any of, those out, people, any of those people out there hating on that need to go buy the transcript and read what happened at, at trial. Then you won't be so quick to be dismissive of these people and the result that they rendered when, they, when that jury delivered that verdict. But anyway, thank you for the nice weekend wishes, Mike. Yes, sir. Godspeed and uh, success for next year. Yes, sir. You and your
3: family. Thank you very much. You do the same. This is Michael Cargill, and you are listening to Come and Talk It. Peace. This is Maj
4: Toure. You're listening to Come and Talk It Radio with Michael Cargill.
0: Austin's Talk 1370.
2: Welcome back to Come and Talk It. And now here's Michael Cargill.
3: All right, let's go to Nashville, Tennessee. So you may have heard about this case. Maybe, maybe not. Uh, it's a case out of Nashville where it was a murder for hire case. And it's kind of linked to Austin, Texas because, you know, there's some people that are that run a security company. You know, Zach, uh, these people, you know, security professionals. And apparently they were allegedly hired by Eric Charles Mond, Forty-six of Austin, Texas, is a partner in the Mon Automotive Group in Austin, Texas, where they traveled to um, Nashville to kill a couple. So, basically, four men are now in custody in connection with an alleged elaborate murder-for-hire scheme involving an Austin, Texas businessman, former U.S. military members, and a uh, former member of the Israeli Defense Forces. A three-count federal indictment unsealed uh, said charges. These four defendants with conspiracy to commit kidnapping, kidnapping resulting in death and carrying brandishing and discharging a firearm doing and in relation to a crime of violence. So Eric Charles Mon, 46, of Austin, Texas, a partner in the Mon Automotive Group, uh, and also Gilad Pilead, 47, of Austin, Texas, who held himself out to be a former member of the Israeli Defense Forces and owner of Spear Tip Security in Austin, Texas. Byron Brockway, 46, of Austin, Texas, a former active duty United States Marine who previously served in Force Recon and Special Operations uh, Unit and owner of Inc. Force LLC, also security company in Austin, Texas, and Adam Carey, 30, of Richland, uh, North Carolina, a former active duty United States Marine who had previously served in the Marine Corps Special Operations Group. So in making the announcement, uh, the police chief says, you know, uh, the, the chief is basically, you know, these guys traveled to uh, uh, Tennessee, uh, committed this crime, and it took them, I guess, until now to really figure things out. Uh, the investigation began in the discovery of two bodies inside a vehicle in a, in, on a good Friday in 2020. You know, this is back when the country was shutting down, the day before the country shut down. Uh, and so outstanding investigation work led by the detectives there. Uh, led to multiple leads that drew their attention to other states, realizing this is a very complex case, reach far outside of Nashville. So they had to get the help of the FBI. And according to the indictment, Mond sometimes traveled to Nashville to visit a relative, and in early February 2020, he emailed a woman, Holly Williams, with whom he had a prior relationship for the purpose of seeing her doing his upcoming visit to Nashville. After his visit to Nashville on March 1st of 2020, Mond received a series of text messages from an individual, William Landway, who had a personal romantic relationship with Williams, and Landway demanded payment from Mond and threatened to expose his relationship with Williams if he did not receive it. Mond then enlisted the services of P. Brockway, and Carey to assist with dealing with the threats to expose his relationship with Williams and the extortion demands. The indictment further alleges that on March 5th of 2020, Mond withdrew $15,000 from his bank account. On that same day, an intelligence report was prepared and provided by Pilot by a relative of Brockway who worked for an internet-based security company. A series of actions were then undertaken by Kerry and others, including traveling from out of state to Nashville to surveil Williams and Landway and creating and creating and using a Pinger account to attempt to communicate with Williams and Landway. On March 9th, Pilot received a document entitled Tennessee Sitrep. Which stated that Carey and others had surveilled Williams, confirmed her address and vehicle, confirmed that Landway had been staying at the same address, and advised that Carey and others would use everything at their disposal to stop the attempt extortion of Mond. On March 11th, PILOT deposited eight thousand in cash into Spear Tip Securities business account and seven thousand in cash into personal bank account. And the following day, Mon transferred $150,000 via wire from his bank account to a bank account controlled by Pilot. On the same day, Brockway, Carey, while armed with firearms, confronted Williams and Landway in the parking lot of Williams' apartment complex in West Nashville and murdered Landway by shooting him multiple times. They then kidnapped Williams and drove her and the body of Landway to a construction site on Old Hickory Boulevard in West Nashville, where they murdered Williams by shooting her several times. The bodies were then discarded at the construction site, and within hours of the murders, the pinger count used to communicate was deleted, and a rental car rented by Brockway was returned. Carrie then drove Brockway to Memphis, Tennessee, and Brockway caught a flight to Austin, Texas. Carrie then drove to Austin from Memphis. And so, man, and, and, and this case is really crazy because um, they're like, Mon, uh, they, they've gone to each other's, like, business pages and actually posted, like, you know, good job. Thank you for, you know, for great work on their Google page, you know, as a review. For a double murder, basically? <laughs> I don't know. But it's, it's really weird, man. It's like, wow. They don't even try to hide it anymore. Just <laughs> in plain sight. It's like, wow. All right, so that's the Nashville. Uh, sentencing date has been set for the men in in who have been convicted of killing Ahmaud Arbery. Uh, so that sentencing date has been set for uh, the father and son, Greg and Travis McMichael, and their neighbor, William Byron. Uh, I'm sorry, yeah, William Byron uh, will be sentenced on January 7th of 2022. Uh, so that's going to happen then. And then over in um, um, this uh, Dante Wright case, uh, you guys have heard about the uh, police officer, Kim Potter, uh, who was a trainer, you know, a uh, longtime law enforcement officer you know, thought she was pulling out her taser. Turned out she was pulling out her gun, ended up shooting Dante Wright. And so she's on trial for that. And, and she mistook her firearm for her taser uh, when she fatally shot Dante Wright during a traffic stop near Minf- uh, Minneapolis. And, it, and she broke down on the stands uh, uh, this week, apologizing, insisting she didn't want to hurt anybody. You know, and that's negligent. You know, it's an accident, but it is negligent. And so, you know, you you know, people are prosecuted for being negligent and I don't see anything wrong with that, you know, unfortunately. And so uh, the defense rested on Friday afternoon after the emotional Potter spent hours on the stand, breaking down several times as she described the chaotic moments that day in April. The jury instructions and closing arguments are scheduled to begin on Monday. And Potter, uh, the last the last of more than 30 witnesses called over eight days, began weeping early in her testimony and she recalled the look of fear on another officer's face as he struggled with the right. It's nothing I've seen before, she said, weeping, recalling the officers reaching into the car to grab the 20-year-old uh, father doing the April encounter. And so that's negligent. It's all going to be negligent. And, and I think that you know it, the juries are, are not going to give us any surprises here. Uh, here it is, 2021, and the juries are getting it right in every single case. So we'll see what happens in this case. And I think the jury is going to get it right. They got it right in Austin, Texas, against the Austin Police Department. They got it right um, with the Kyle Rittenhouse case. They got it right in the Ahmad Arbor case. Uh, these juries are, you know, are I think juries are very, very smart, and they're listening. They're paying attention, and they're saying, you know, what? Enough is enough, and we've got to hold people accountable for the things they do. You know, you're a trainer. You're a police officer. Uh, your job is your her job was to train other police officers. She should have known better. That was a taser. Not a gun. Just like the gun store owner, you know, we talked about last weekend where the gun store owner picked up a BB gun and to play a trick on one of his employees, to shoot that employee with a BB gun. Turned out it wasn't a BB gun, it was a Glock 17. He shot his employee in the face with a Glock 17. How do you not know the difference between a gun, a real gun, and a BB gun? I wouldn't even point a BB gun at someone's face, let alone anything else. You know, so, as always... People, more guns equals less crime. Go out there and buy yourself a gun. You will listen to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill.
4: This is Chole on Noir, and you're listening to Come and Talk It with Michael Cargill.